Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nathaniel Paul Thurston, and I am by myself today. Mr. Charles Chuck Thompson is not here. I'm not completely by myself, though, because I'm hanging out with the Fed Haters Club. Join GML.com if you want to join us. If you want to save the world with the rest of the Fed Haters Club, then you want to go to joingmail.com. So I am hanging out trying to chat with them, although it is always kind of difficult to try and chat and talk. At the same time, I'm going to do my best. We're going to start off by talking about the thing that's going on in Texas. And then we are going to talk a little bit about this national strike that's going on in Argentina. When that whole thing started with Melee, I, I did spread a little bit of um, doubt pessimism, I call it realism, uh, about how easy this would be or how this would actually go. And this is one of the reasons right now uh, are all of the people who've been living off of the state trying to stand up to his tyrannical uh, freedom right now where he doesn't take as much money from people. You know the thing. And then I also want to talk about Boeing. Uh, thoughts and prayers to anyone who's getting on a plane anytime soon. I hope everything goes well for you. Chances are that they will. We all know that, but there seems to be a little bit higher chance uh, that they won't. So just thoughts and prayers for you. I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you. So we'll talk about what's going on with them as well. Uh, let's get into the first topic. I'm sure everyone has heard plenty of people talk about it by now, but wait until they hear me talk about it. That's going to be uh, going to be way different. So the big thing that we have right now, we talked about the Supreme Court ruling. The Supreme Court ruling said that the feds, that Border Patrol could cut the razor wire that Texas was putting up. And so they can go in and do that. What it did not say was that Texas could not put up more razor wire. And so initially, you know, we could have talked about this yesterday, but didn't do a show yesterday. I was working on other stuff. Um, pretty cool thing. They're like, okay, you can cut that. We're just going to put up more. Have fun. Just continuously cutting razor wire. Uh, that that That's up to you. And so that's cool. And now Governor Abbott is taking a stand, which is difficult for him, uh, difficult for him to do, but he's taking a stand uh, against Joe Biden. Other states are aligning with him. It's starting to look more and more like a civil war, but it's not, a, I'm not saying it's actually going to turn into a civil war. Okay. But it is kind of crazy to see maps of states that are aligned and saying that they're not going to listen to what the federal government is saying, that the, that the national guard is going to help uh, going down there to secure the border and all that. It's pretty wild if that's how to, if that's how the civil war actually starts is over immigration and actually enforcing border laws. We'll get into that just a little bit more, but here's a map of some of the states. The, there's an updated map that actually has more states that say that they're going to get involved now. This is the most recent one I pulled. You got Missouri, South Dakota, Montana, Oklahoma, Texas, of course, Georgia, Virginia, Florida, and there's been some other ones jump in since this initial map was made. I don't know how closely it aligns to the Civil War map from the movie that's coming out in May. Maybe some of these states. I do think that they said there was an alliance between Texas and California, so we haven't seen that one pop in yet. I wonder what's going to happen first. The movie comes out or the actual Civil War starts in America. It'd be kind of awkward if the movie comes out while the Civil War is going on. That'll be a little bit weird, I'm just saying, but I bet it's going to do great at the box office. So Greg Abbott puts out this statement, and I like the statement. I'll just say I do like it. Borders are kind of a 
wishy-washy thing to talk about on a libertarian podcast. I get it. People have the right to freely travel and all that. <sighs> Myself, I'm a little bit different from Charlie. I do happen to think that we should secure the border, but that we should make immigrating legally as easy as possible. Uh, as easy as possible. And by as easy as possible, I mean like you put your name in a computer system and I don't know why you got to go through all this time to become a citizen and all that. It seems completely ridiculous. Uh, so no wonder people immigrate illegally. But but anyhow, we're not going to talk about that really today. We've, we've spent plenty of time talking about that. Here's what he said. The federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now. President Biden has refused to enforce those laws and has even violated them. This, the result is that he has smashed records for illegal immigration. Despite having been put on notice in a series of letters, one of which I delivered to him by hand, President Biden has ignored Texas's demand that he perform his constitutional duties. President Biden has violated his oath to faithfully execute immigration laws enacted by Congress. Instead of prosecuting immigrants for the federal crime of illegal entry, President Biden has sent his lawyers in the federal courts to sue Texas for taking action to secure the border. Now, here in a little bit, we're going to talk about the fact that there are politicians right now, prominent politicians right now, calling on Biden to nationalize Texas's National Guard. That has only been done just I mean, if there's a war or if they are refusing to follow the law, if they're refusing to execute the law. Uh, like desegregation in schools, stuff like that. So we'll talk about that here in a bit. In this case, what they're calling for is to nationalize it to prevent people from enforcing the law. So that's kind of weird. President Biden has instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes that mandate the detention of illegal immigrants. The effect is to illegally allow their en masse parole into the United States. By wasting taxpayer dollars to tear open Texas's border security infrastructure, President Biden has enticed illegal immigrants away from the 28 legal entry points along the state's southern border, bridges where nobody drowns, and into the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande. This is something that we talked about the other day when it came to uh, this woman and two kids drowning. Hundreds of people drown trying to cross the border illegally every single year. All right, this always happens. And one thing that they're trying to do was put up some deterrent to stop people from going through the Rio Grande because it's actually very dangerous for people to do. I think that that happens to be a pretty good idea, whether you're an open border or closed border person or secure border person. Uh, this is a very dangerous place that people decide that they're going to cross. Hundreds of people drown there. Why don't you do something to deter people from trying to go across there? And then you also don't spend all of our resources going through trying to rescue people, uh, trying to get, you know, recover people's bodies that drown while they're going through there. I mean, that's not the only reason you should do it. You should do it to protect human life, right? Under President Biden's, this is back on uh, Greg Abbott's statement here. Under President Biden's lawless border policies, more than 6 million illegal immigrants have crossed our southern border in just three years. That's more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the people all across the United States. James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. 
That's why the framers included both Article 4, Section 4, which promises that the federal government shall protect each state against invasion, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which acknowledges the state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders. Uh, the failure of the Biden administration to fulfill these duties imposed by Article 4 has triggered Article 1, which reserves this state the right of self-defense. For these reasons, I've already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. So in declaring an invasion is very important uh, because that's where he can say he's going to use the National Guard to go in there and enforce these laws. Uh, the federal government is clearly just not enforcing the laws. There are legal ports of entry that exist in Texas when you are trying to cross illegally. It is illegal, and you are supposed to be held and sent back, but now with asylum... With the increased asylum claims, that's pretty much what everyone is doing. And of course, this is equally millions of people coming into the country by illegal means. Uh, once again, as a libertarian, uh, it's it's slightly, I guess, confusing to talk about because I, I want as many people as possible to come into this country. The difficult situation is that we do have systems in place that will take money through force with a gun to your head from you and then use it to support anyone who comes into this country seeking asylum, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, we have plenty of systems in place that use American stolen money to support all the people that come in to the country illegal. And I know what you'll say if you're an open border libertarian listening right now. Well, the problem is the state. It's not the, it's not the immigrants, it's the state. And I get that. I completely understand that. I'm just starting to think that this is not sustainable. And given the fact that we're doing nothing to stop the state from stealing our money, we're going to have to fix some of the other symptoms as well because we just sit here and do nothing. I don't mean we, you know, you guys, especially everyone hanging out in the Fed Haters Club, you guys are doing something by paying as little as $7 a month to hang out with us every single day of the week when we want to. I mean, so you guys are doing something, but we're not really doing something to uh, prevent the continuous growth of the federal government and more and more people are still coming in and using our money that's been stolen from us. Something's going to have to be done, I guess. Um, let's, uh, let's go to what Beto O'Rourke said about this. Abbott is using the Texas Guard to defy a Supreme Court ruling. When Governor, is it, I've never heard the person's name before, Faubus? Faubus, I guess? Governor Faubus did this in 1957. Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas Guard to ensure compliance with the law. Biden must follow this example of bold, decisive leadership to end this crisis before it gets worse. This is going to end up on Dumb Bleep of the Week because he just brought up an instance where Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas Guard to ensure compliance with the law. In this case, he would federalize the Texas Guard to ensure non-compliance with the law. And so let's just get off of the, the immigration conversation here for a minute. And the idea that, the, that they would nationalize, federalize the state, the National Guard, to ensure to stop them from actually enforcing the law, from enforcing laws that are on the books. Just look how backwards we are right now. And the fact that Beto O'Rourke, who the only thing he's ever done is lost elections, uh, can come out here and say this and it doesn't trigger in his mind that, oh, wait, they are trying to enforce the law. Biden is arguing specifically to not enforce the law. 
I don't know how that works in their brains, but we'll talk about a little bit more on Dumb Leap of the Week. Now, when it comes to actually pulling the National Guard into federal service, there are rules for when that can be done. Here they are. Number one, the United States or any of the commonwealths or possessions is invaded or is in danger of invasion by a foreign nation. That's kind of funny, considering the fact that Texas is calling that an, this an invasion, and that's why he's using the National Guard to try to put up barriers. So that's not going to be one of the reasons that they say they're going to federalize the National Guard, right? They could say, option number two, there is a rebellion or danger of a rebellion against the authority of the government of the United States. So maybe that's one of the reasons they would use. The United States has said, we are not going to enforce this law and you're not allowed to enforce this law either. And so that's what they've came in and said. I don't know if that's going to hold up in the courts. Uh, we'll see. The president, or number three, the president is unable with the regular forces to execute the laws of the United States. I mean, I don't know if... Uh, you know, dementia, general incompetence could be a reason uh, right there uh, that they could do that. But no, I don't see any way that they're going to be able to nationalize the National Guard or fed federalize the National Guard. It's kind of weird because it's a state National Guard. And so saying National Guard, you know what I mean? Kind of sounds weird. Kind of sounds like a state guard. And when you say National Guard, it seems like they're already owned by the federal government anyway. I don't know. None of that stuff makes any sense. That's the official organized militia uh, of the states. From the 10th Amendment Center... And they had a pretty good one. This is after what happened in, in Arizona while Obama was president. They had a law, which I don't agree with, where they pull over and they could ask for your identification. They could see if you're here uh, illegally. To me, that violates the Fourth Amendment of many Americans uh, who do not need to be searched at that moment because they're just driving on the road or whatever. But outside of that argument, uh, this is entitled, The States Have the Power to Protect Their Borders. So they are talking, uh, they are talking about Arizona, but they do make some good cases here and talk about the founders and what they had to say about it. The battle raging between the federal government and the state of Arizona over its so-called anti-immigration law has raised several constitutional issues. It has been asserted by those opposed to the law that the states are precluded from protecting their borders and preventing the influx of illegal aliens because these powers were granted exclusively to the federal government. I guarantee you, you walk down the street and you ask anyone, you say, hey, Who's got the power to protect the borders of America, to prevent illegal immigration? Pretty much everyone will say, well, that is a power that has been granted to the federal government. It's actually not the power that's just been granted to the federal government. They got the power to decide what the nationalization, the naturalization rules are, how you become a citizen. They can set uniform naturalization rules, uh, but not actually protecting the border. We'll talk a little bit more about that. This assertion is erroneous because the individual states, as sovereign political entities, have the absolute right to protect their borders from illegal aliens, irrespective of the Constitution or any power granted to the federal government. We are constantly told that the federal government has jurisdiction over all matters concerning immigration. This is not the case. In fact, the word immigration does not appear in the Constitution. The only general power granted to the federal government concerning aliens in times of peace is the power, quote, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. No other power is granted to the federal government concerning this subject. The federal government also claims the duty of securing the borders of these United States rests solely with the federal government. The Constitution states that the U.S. shall guarantee 
to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. Aliens entering into a state from a foreign country constitute in an if, sorry, if aliens entering into a state from a foreign country constitute an invasion, then the federal government is constitutionally mandated by this provision to intervene and protect the state. That's one of the reasons that Abbott has called this an invasion because that is specific language that's inside the Constitution. Now, I don't know about the word invasion. As we said a couple days ago when Charlie was here, I'm pretty sure that meant by a foreign army. Um, I, I think you could make that case. And also, if it were a real invasion, I think the Texas National Guard would be treating it more like a real invasion. You know what I mean? What you would do if an army was invading. Uh, right now, you'd probably be using um, deadly force to prevent the invasion. So might be a little bit strongly worded. Even though the word immigration does not appear in the Constitution, the federal government claims that anything related to immigration and the border is vested exclusively in that government. In other words, the states are prohibited by the Constitution from exercising any power that touches on these issues. But during the debates in the Virginia State Convention of 1788, John Marshall made the following statement. The truth is that when power is given to the general legislature, if it was in the state legislatures before, both shall exercise it, unless there be an incompat incompatibility in the exercise by one to that of the other, or negative words precluding the state governments from it. All the restraints intended to be laid on the state governments are contained in the 10th section of the first article. Meaning that even if the state says, even if the federal government says we're going to do this, it doesn't mean that the state government can't do it. Marshall stated that the states possessed a power prior to the adoption of the Constitution and a like power was granted to the federal government. The states retained a concurrent power unless there was a conflict in the exercise of power or there was a clause that specifically prohibited the states from exercising that power. This stuff does not exist in the Constitution. Like Biden... Biden's not going to have any legal standing to, to take federal control over the National Guard and prevent them from enforcing laws when I think it's actually, I'm very interested in what the Supreme Court's going to rule on this. But I do think when it comes down to it, Texas has got the right to do what they want with their own borders. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Marshall and Hamilton also noted that all of the constitutional prohibitions on state power are contained in Article 1, Section 10. A review of this section shows that it does not contain a single clause that places any restraint on state power concerning illegal aliens or protecting their borders. Even if the federal government had been granted authority over foreigners in the several states, the states would not be precluded from exercising this power as well, unless they had specifically said the states are precluded from exercising this power. That's me adding that in. That's not the Tenth Amendment Center. Since the Constitution prevents the states from maintaining the standing army without the consent of Congress, the state force contemplated in Article 1, Section 10 is the state militia. Thus, the states have the constitutional authority to use the militia to protect their borders. This is a, basically what we've ended up here is a mess. Um, and I don't know exactly what Biden, what the Biden administration is thinking right now. I actually don't think they're going to do anything. Uh, because politically, th this is not a winning issue for them. You have a lot of states that are grouping together right now and saying that they're they're going to stand with Texas. They're all saying don't mess with Texas. Uh, Texas is literally trying to enforce immigration laws that the federal government has on the books. And instead of changing the immigration laws, uh, 
which is what you would want to do. The people's representatives get together and vote on these immigration laws, I guess. Uh, they're trying to change all of this administratively with their uh, asylum numbers and all that, uh, trying to say that people can come in and claim asylum. Um, they're not actually enforcing the laws that are on the books. Uh, this is going to be a pretty big deal, uh, probably up until the election, but I don't think that Biden's going to make a move here because it would not play out well for him. A lot of people are very concerned about immigration right now. A lot of people are starting to call immigration a crisis right now. Um, even people in those cities, in those in those blue Democrat cities that are uh, supposedly sanctuary cities are very upset about the amount of immigrants that are there. Now, I will say one critique of Abbott that seems to be a bit of an election year play because he has spent years now taking people that were crossing illegally and busing them to other parts of the country. They didn't put the National Guard up there and stop all of them, turn all of them away, things like that. At first, it was a political play to take these people and send them to other places in the U.S. So it kind of seems like the principle is not really holding up here. It seems like, as most politicians do, this is a lot of political maneuvering. First, you send them out to a bunch of big cities. You get some Democrats to kind of flip on immigration. And then you start to make your move right now, leading up into the 2024 elections, potentially. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, not saying that's exactly what he's doing, but that's probably what he's doing. Uh, if you read the Naturalization Acts of 1790 and 1795, uh, which were the first two Naturalization Acts passed by Congress after the Constitution was ratified, you'd note that they are not called Immigration Acts. In fact, the word immigration does not appear in either act. These acts negate the assertion that the Constitution made the so-called immigration process an exclusive federal function because individuals wishing to become citizens could do so through the states and their courts. Um, I do not think that the federal government has exclusive authority over uh, policing, protecting, securing the borders, especially even if they have granted themselves the power to do that if they refuse to do it, why can't Texas come in and do that? I mean, it's their border. It's their state. Uh, so, guys, we'll see how it plays out. I sure hope nothing crazy happens. I really don't want that to happen. Um, but I would like to see some people standing toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I'd like to see what happens. I mean, this is just me. I don't really want to see it. It's bad for the country. Okay, get that. Um, but it would be interesting to see if they do try to federalize the National Guard people saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to listen to you. I like seeing states stand up to the federal government. I wish they would do it more like with things with, uh, I don't know, taxation and, and tariffs and uh, other ways that the federal government continuously removes the rights of all the American people. Uh, I would like to see, you know, this is another one of those things on January 6th where like, there's plenty of reasons to try and storm the U.S. Capitol. Tons of, there's like a hundred reasons you could storm, more than that, thousands of reasons you could storm the U.S. Capitol. Uh, the 2020 election, uh, based on hearsay and tweets from Donald Trump, that's not really the reason to do it. Maybe taxation being theft, that's one of them. Uh, so I'd love to see a, sa a state stand up against that. that. That'd be pretty cool. I don't know. Let's go on to Argentina in the someone who's trying to make big changes in a country that is uh, in really, really bad shape. Uh, this is a, I described it the other day as the Titanic heading towards the iceberg. 
it's very hard to turn before you hit the iceberg. And Javier Mille is trying to do that. And when we first started talking about Javier Mille, I explained my pessimism in populist movements and even populist libertarian movements. I'm not saying it's over or anything, but this is one of the things that you see start to pop up. People are upset. People are mad. And when you have someone coming out saying, I'm going to fix all these problems and you're who you're really mad at is the state and we're going to fix all of this. Well, at the end of the day, those people are really mad about how tough their lives are and they want their lives to get easier. And so if their lives don't get easier fast enough, or even if they continue to get worse, if they were not doing all of this, uh, if they're not doing all of this protesting and all this voting because they are philosophical libertarians who believe in self-ownership and individual liberty and freedom and justice for all, uh, then it's just a populist movement that's going to fade out once people are still unhappy with their lives until the next person comes in and says, well, I'm going to help you and I'm going to make everything better for you. That's not what's happening. What I'm saying is that's what I'm worried about happening. Uh, so Argentinians, Argentinians staged nationwide strike against Javier Mille's far-right agenda. Far-right agenda. Argentinian demonstrations have staged their biggest yet show of opposition to Javier Mille's radical attempt to reshape the South American country with a nationwide strike that shuttered schools and businesses, grounded hundreds of flights, and saw tens of thousands of marchers hit the streets. Together, Mille's decree and the draft legislation, they talked about his some of his decrees he did. The decree and the legislation proposed hundreds of highly controversial, highly controversial innovations, including a wave of privatizations. Note that they called privatizing like giving people back the right to run their own businesses, you know, like a free market. That's an innovation, according to The Guardian here. Uh, innovations including the wave of privatizations, ferocious spending cuts. You wouldn't talk about ferocious spending. Now, these are ferocious spending cuts. And major expansion of presidential powers. Now are those powers to take natural rights away from people or is he expanding powers so he can take down parts of the government that are continuously taking rights away from people? You need the president to have more power to dismantle an authoritarian government. Good question. In a scaling back of workers' rights and the right to protest, nine of 18 government ministries have been closed, including those responsible for education, the environment, and women, gender, and diversity. So they're just not going to have any more education. The environment, especially in Argentina, is just going to go to hell immediately. And they don't have any more women. Um, they're all gone. They were being protected by that agency. But now that he got rid of that agency, I mean, who needs women in Argentina, right? On Wednesday at lunchtime, thousands of objectors marched through the capital, Buenos Aires, and other major cities to voice their anger at Mille's moves. Here's some interesting quotes from people who were protesting. Quote, we're fighting against the way in which the far right is basically trying to eliminate our rights of existence on all levels, from healthcare to work. So if you take away government agencies that are, that are printing money, taxing money, and providing services based on force, crappy, terrible services to people, by the way, then you're actually taking away people's rights. But notice their rights are rights to other people's stuff. 
or rights to force other people to do things for them. You'll you'll notice that continuously here. Uh, that's that was from Frederica Baeza, an LGBTIQ plus activist. They don't have the A in Argentina. It's implied because Argentina starts with an A. I don't know. Uh, activist and art curator who was among the crowd outside Congress as the 12-hour strike began. What the ultra-right does not understand is that we live in an unequal world and that the state has to be active in order to reverse this situation. So they have to take rights away from other people uh, to try and level off the playing field, the perceived unequal nature of the playing field. More than likely, they're looking at disparate outcomes and not actual uh, discrimination. But uh, I'm not going to claim to know everything about Argentina. Another marcher, Ivana Uez, I guess you said, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that. Have brought her daughter, hoping to stop Mile stripping away her five-year-old's rights. This person, Ivana, brought her daughter because Mile is stripping away her five-year-old's rights. What a terrible person. Who comes in and just takes away the rights of all the five-year-olds in the country? Now, my guess would be that this mother is arguing that her five-year-old daughter has the right to force other people to labor and then give their money to her five-year-old. That's what I'm assuming the, the right is. But anyway, uh, she was fretting that Miele's catastrophic deregulation of the housing market would send rents soaring. That is typically what happens. No, actually what happened, uh, they did... They did release some data, at least in Buenos Aires, that the housing prices uh, went down from twenty by twenty to thirty percent, and actually their available housing doubled from four hundred to eight hundred units uh, in just a month that the deregulation happened. I was able to actually confirm that story. We haven't talked about it yet on the show because I hadn't seen official numbers from anyone, but I did look that up today. Nearby, an elderly man held a placard reading, "Quote: I'm retired." I earn 106,000 pesos, or about $84 a month. I'm starving to death. Mile, you're a son of a bitch. That's what the uh, sign read. Only it was probably in Spanish, uh, would be my guess. 106,000 pesos, 84 bucks a month for a retired elderly man. So, I don't know, did, did Mile come in and take away all that, t- take away all of the... Uh, retirement for the old people. I don't think that's happened yet. Might want to confirm that that's actually happened. Maybe he's blaming the inflation potentially on Mele now. Uh, even though the inflation was 150% before Mele took over, it did go up to 211%. So it has gone up quite a bit. Um, the union leader, Hugo Yasky, told local radio the strike was against the utter social insensitivity of a government which has slashed energy and transport subsidies. That's what the strike is against. Utter insensitivity of a government which has slashed energy and transport subsidies. Now, the subsidies mean that you're stealing money from other people and you're subsidizing these particular industries. And in fact, the other thing you're doing is that you're printing more Argentine pesos, which is devaluing the pesos of this elderly man who's upset that he's not earning enough money in retirement. But you're not printing enough and causing more problems for this elderly retired man uh, to subsidize the energy and transport industries. Anyway, Benjamin Gidan, the director of the Wilson Center's Latin America program, called it the walkout an early shot across the bow of Miele's administration and wager that it would be the first of many such mobilizations. So why are we talking about this? In a country that has massive 
massive unions and especially government public sector unions and a lot of people who were living off of the teat of all of the other people and of themselves also. It's like plugging a surge protector into one of its own slots uh, is the way that people are living there right now. You have an actual danger of unions being able to organize strikes that can actually destabilize the country. And I'm not just talking about these economic strikes that put pressure. I'm talking about actually destabilizing the country and, and causing it to fall into some sort of a civil conflict. That's what I'm actually worried about with Argentina right now. I, I've joked several times that he could end up lasting a few months before something bad happens to him or they just find a way to coup him out of office. I'm not, I'm not out here saying that that's what's about to happen, but just be aware once a country is this far gone and the government has taken this much control and you have this many people that are living off of the state, it's going to be very, very difficult to turn things around. My hope this entire time has been that Melee's supporters have been actually thinking about the, the philosophy of libertarianism or self-ownership because that's how you actually stick it out during these really tough times. Inflation can keep getting worse especially when he talks about getting rid of the peso where the value of the, the value of the peso is not going to go up any. It actually is down 50 or 60% since Mele was elected. Uh, it, when you're talking about getting rid of it, of course it's not going to bump back up in value. Uh, so things could get a lot worse for people there. And what I hope is that he won by very nice margins, you know, getting over the half the, over half the country to vote for him. It's just very important that they really understand the importance of what he's doing and not just for themselves to make their lives better, but to stop enslaving all of their neighbors to live for them, who's also enslaved to their other neighbors. It's just not something that's going to work. I hope everything works out well for them, but I do want to give you one good thing. Polls suggest a majority of Argentines still support Mille's administration. But as he addressed thousands of demonstrators outside Congress on Wednesday afternoon, uh, Pablo Mayono, the general secretary of Argentina's truck drivers union, claimed many are waking up. They say this is historic. It's an enormous mobilization. Just 45 days after the new government took over, already people are making themselves heard. We'll see how things go there. I want to say uh, one quick thing before we go today about what's going on with Boeing. I was telling everyone beforehand, whew, I don't want to fly anytime soon. I really don't. I'm already absolutely terrified of flying. I'm sure a lot of people do this, but I do. You know, I text my mom and my dad telling them that I'm about to fly. I, I, I get my last words out there, you know, to people and uh, just let them know and, you know, let them know when I land. I know that's a common thing to do, but I do it because I think I'm actually about to die. And I have to accept that fate that I'm about to die. It's, it's like going on, a, if I were to get on a plane and go to New York right now, I'm just as scared as if I were going to go skydiving. I might feel even better if I'm going skydiving because at least I have a parachute. If I had a parachute in the plane, maybe I'd feel better about that. But yeah, I got I to gotta get right with Jesus when I get on that plane because I assume it's going to crash, which makes no sense. I get it. Except for in 2024, it seems like these things are getting way more likely, a lot higher likelihood that something bad's going to happen. Alaska Airlines found that there were several more loose bolts 
on the doors. Who knows how many more of these plug doors were about to pop off of Alaska Airlines. You got that video of the 747 engine catching on fire shortly after it took off. That was a cargo plane, but that's scary also as well. We got a something, was it yesterday, where the front wheel of a plane, like one of them just kind of came off while I was on the runway. Good thing it didn't happen while it was taken off. Um, and then when it comes to the 737 Maxes, um, yeah, we've had a couple really bad crashes, not in America, but in other parts of the world with those planes. I don't trust them. In fact, I'll be looking to make sure that I'm on either an Airbus or an old Boeing plane, back when Boeing apparently used to be a good company. You know, those planes from like 1978, those are still really good. And so those are the ones I want to stick to. A lot of people have been pointing anytime one of these things happens, anytime something happens, it's DEI. And I am not going to deny that DEI has got something to do with some of the problems, but I am starting to get a little bit annoyed. Just a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. I know it's fun to say DEI every time something bad happens. It's a little bit like saying climate change every time there's a hurricane, though. Uh, I don't think that every single problem is because of DEI with what's happening with Boeing right now. Um, someone put it good uh, on Twitter to me yesterday that there's a lot of people that have been there for a while that are retiring and they got a lot of knowledge and a lot of knowledge is not written down. And you got new people coming in and they're just not like the old people, you know? They just don't build people like they used to, I guess. Then maybe DEI has something to do with that. Let me present you something else, though. This being a libertarian slash, in my mind, free market economics podcast. Boeing, ticker symbol BA, which has not been doing very well recently. You know how much of its money comes from the government? You know how much? It's 49% of Boeing's income comes from government contracts. And so my argument on this right now is... <clears throat> that Boeing has essentially become, because it's a large defense contractor, like the second largest corporate recipient of government contracts to Lockheed Martin, very big defense contractor. And so 49% of their money in 2021 were earned pursuant to U.S. government contracts. In my mind, that has almost made them an arm of the federal government. Not completely, I know that it's only 49%, but it's quite a lot. And so what do we expect from other government services? What do we expect from our defense contractors that live off of the government where all of their money comes in from these federal contracts? How good is the government at ensuring quality on all the products that they pay for? We can make a million jokes about that. And so it's, it's no surprise to me that Boeing's quality has continued to go down when essentially half of their money comes in from the federal government, people who just get to steal money and give it away to people, they're not beholden to any customers when that's the case. Those are the people that they're chasing. It's making sure they can get these federal government contracts so they can get these big $26 billion chunks of money or five or $10 billion chunks of money at a time. If they lose out on federal contracts like one big federal contract, if they lose out on it, it's terrible for the airline. 
You're talking 20% decrease in the revenues, stock crashing faster than one of their planes. Kind of terrible for the airline. And so while it's fun to blame DEI for all of these things, and yes, DEI is terrible. We should have a completely merit-based system. The color or sex, the race or sex of the person or sexuality of the person should not be considered one bit when it comes to hiring people. It should be whoever could do the job the best, and that's who people should be seeking. Even If that ends up being all black people or all women or all white people or whatever it is, you want the best people for the job. And so, yeah, DEI is a very easy boogeyman to make fun of, but it can't be every single one of these things. In my mind, a much more and much easier explanation is the fact that we are essentially dealing with a federal government contractor that operates half of its business as a commercial airliner that we pay to fly on their planes, but that we are essentially dealing with a government contractor who has gotten shady and slacked off on their quality like anything else the government does. So it's no surprise to me that these things are falling apart, which is why I'm going to stick with their older models or I'm going to stick with Airbus, who is not as big of a defense contractor as uh, as Boeing is. Actually, I don't know what Airbus does in, in defense. In defense of Airbus, I don't know if they do anything in defense, to be honest with you. All right. That's all we got. That's all we got today. I'm done. Done with this mess right now. Uh, tomorrow's Dumb Leap of the Week. That's a pretty fun day. I, I enjoy it. We get to look at dumb things that people said and the Fed Haters Club gets to vote on those things. So go to joingmail.com. You still got time today. You can come join and that way tomorrow morning, you can vote on those things. So go to joingmail.com. Leave us a rating and review. God darn it. Okay, I'm talking to you right now. Have you left us a rating and review yet? What, you don't care about the future of humanity? Okay, I get it. That's fine. Not everyone has to care about the future of humanity and the future of liberty for everyone, people's individual rights and all that. I, I get it. Not everyone cares about those things. But if you made it this far into the podcast, let's face it, you care about those things and you should put your reviews where your mouth is, where your ears are. Actually, that'd be the best way of saying it. Anyhow, go do those things. And if you do all of them, actually, regardless of whether or not you do them, I'll be back here again tomorrow. Uh, same Liberty time, which is whenever I want and same Liberty Channel, which is Good Morning Liberty. Until then, y'all have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.